ministry. So I'm going to wait. There we go. I can come on out. Well, this morning, dads, I'm going to talk to you, uh, but everyone else can listen in because I think, well, I know that this message and the content of what we're studying has something for all of us. But dads, there's a rumor that sometimes we like things to be in control, that we like things to go a certain way, and we might get a little disheveled if if they don't. For instance, um, if your kid doesn't quite behave the way you want, our reaction may not always be as gracious as it should be. Or you go to work and somebody gets the promotion you wanted. Uh, Our reaction might not be quite what we'd like it to be. Or on the outside, everything can appear so calm and peaceful and everyone thinks you're really laid back. But inside, and men and women, we can all wrestle with this, you feel like your body is literally at war with itself. But today I want us to look at God's word and learn that you know what? There is a way, not by what Mike's going to say, but by the word of God, that we can be content in any circumstance. That there is a way that no matter how things go, both good and bad, we can be restful and at peace in the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done and because of who he is. But you see, we know this to be true. Like, honestly, for probably most of you, I don't need to say anything else. You already know this to be true. You know that Jesus tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And we think, ah, that's great. Then things go wrong. And then suddenly we forget how to rest in him. Or something else comes up at us, and we just got to have that. Or we wish, if only this would happen, then I would be more generous to the Lord. If only this would happen, then I would trust the Lord with this. And it's called discontent. But how in the world, in pace alone, if only God would just give me a little more time, or if my kids would just give me just a few minutes, then I would be better as a parent, as a friend, as a this, as a that. We make all these deals with ourselves because we're discontent. Because the situations we find ourselves in, we think that we own them. We think that the situations we find ourselves in, whatever they may be, we think that somehow we should have control over them and that we must fix them. Now, we have responsibilities to live in a godly way. But the thing is, we often try to live in a godly way in our own strength and in our own reasoning, in our own inability. Last night at our community group, which, by the way, when plans go, this is my transparency with you in trying to be honest. I had a plan for how yesterday would go. We had uh, Reverend Kelvin and Jill. I'm going to introduce you to them at the end of the service. Um, but they came over early on in the day, and then we had a barbecue for our community group that was going to start at 4. That meant everyone was going to leave by 8 so that I could go over my sermon one more time, get to bed nice and early because, you know, there's still a little bit of packing to do. And when I say a little bit, I mean I haven't started yet. Uh, and, And so there's still just a few little loose ends to tie up. So everybody would be out of the house by 8 and all would be good. 10, 21 p.m. And they were still there. And we had a great time. And if you're in my community group, I loved being with you. I really did. I just wish you would have left two hours earlier. <laughs> no. But see, in my own circumstance, I thought I had to figure it out. And I got disheveled because plans didn't go my way. God had a plan, and we had a wonderful time together. And it was great. But how do we walk through life? with the peace of God that transcends all understanding that we're promised we can live. And it starts with what we talked about a few weeks ago. You see, Paul made this bold statement, and I told you then, and I'll say it again, that often we think, well, that's Paul. He was amazing. Absolutely. But what made him amazing was his dependence on the Lord in any and all circumstances, so much so that he could say these words that I hope all of us can say. For, me, for to me to live is Christ... And to die is gain. 
And if you go back to the, the call to worship this morning, when are we to be talking about and enjoying a relationship with the Lord? Always. And how do we do that? Well, if you would open up your Bibles, we're going to learn how we cross that together. You see, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, I started with verse uh, 4 here, but actually we should have started with verse 2. So I'm going to read you those two verses. They didn't make it under the slides. So give me a second, because we need to learn about two ladies named Yodia and Syntyche. I don't know if that's how you pronounced their name back then, but that's how we're going with it. So just shake your heads. I plead with you, Euodia and Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Okay, real quick context. Remember, this is a church plant of vast different, vastly different socioeconomic standards. Uh, we had everybody from Lydia, who was a wealthy expat, to a Philippian jailer that had been saved and his family had come to the Lord, to a demon-possessed girl that had been set free and healed, uh, that would have been a servant and a slave and, and very poor. And they all came together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But even there, even with all this miraculous stuff happening, these two ladies apparently had a disagreement. Now, we fast forward 2,000 years, and we understand that everybody in church always agrees on everything, correct? Yeah. If, if you think that, please go to a different church, because you're going to disagree with us at some point, and then you'll be very disappointed. And I'm not asking you to leave our church. But anyway... As this church was growing, some type of conflict arose. Paul doesn't tell us anymore. He just asks these two lazies, can't we all just get along? But he doesn't stop there. He said, yes. And I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, those along with this little tiff that's going on, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's reminding us something that I love, and we're going to come, come to this in a minute. But notice that he's not criticizing the ladies, saying they have failed. He's inviting the church to help them. Because even godly people can fail. Even godly people can disagree or misinterpret what another has said. Again, I don't know what they were disagreeing about. But Paul wasn't just telling these two ladies to get along. He was inviting the church to help them along that journey. Do we do that? Or do we try to divide people? Like if they're fighting, we just try to make sure they stay on opposite ends of the hall. I'm going to move this back because it's, it's feedback. But Paul was encouraging people to rest and to encourage reconciliation. Then he goes on, and we just heard these words sung, and they're powerful words. And I wonder if we've done it today. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get it, I'm going to tell you again. Again, I say rejoice. You remember the song? Does anybody remember the song? Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I I'm not going to make you stand up and sit down. But I grew up learning that song. And I remember when I was 10 years old that I finally realized that was a Bible verse. I had no idea. I just thought it was a way to keep the kids active and out of the parents' way while they went to church and listened to my dad preach. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's in the Bible. They actually know what they're talking about. It was amazing. But we should have added a second verse that said, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember we talked last week, he's coming back. Or not last week, a couple weeks ago. Do not, oh, here we go. This is good stuff. I'm going to try to cover all this in one message. You're going to be here all day. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And here's the theme of this chapter. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I can use this now. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, this is a bold statement from Paul, but when he knows his life is all Christ's, 
When he knows everything in his life is about Jesus Christ, he can boldly say, what you've seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Then he gives a little more exhortations. And then he comes back with this. He's thanking the Philippian church. Paul's a pastor. He's a missionary. He needed the church to give faithfully so that he could continue making disciples of all nations. That's the major reason why we take offerings. Okay, understand that about how... And so Paul is thanking the church in Philippi because the church in Macedonia, not this, this one, but others around, were known to be the most generous in all of Christendom at the time. Even in persecution, they were giving, sometimes even in, in Corinthians, we're told, even beyond their, what they would normally be expected. And so Paul is thanking for that. But he says, you know what? Even if you'd given nothing, this is what I know. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Remember, he grew up as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Brilliant, successful, highly educated, on the right path to have the best job in the best location and have great influence. This was Paul. He was on the track to super saintdom. He just didn't know Jesus Christ. And so he knew what it meant to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. And would you read this last verse, this last bit with me again? Verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We're going to finish our series on B today. And I know some of you, it got a little confusing what we meant when we titled a series on Philippians B. But if you look at what Paul teaches us, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, we are called to be like Christ. Our lives are called to be hid in him. Our lives are to be his lives. Our posture, how we stand in life, is to show that we can be confident in our position as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are, that's another tense of be, we are his. And we get to stand boldly on that, those of us who've believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that should cause us to rejoice. Not bad. We're getting there. I would think knowing that my eternity is secure, that from this point on, from the moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my life had so much more meaning that that should just bubble and blow and explode out of us. But here's the thing that Paul is teaching us today. That peace of God that transcends all understanding gets caught up in traffic. You live in Hong Kong. If you don't live in Hong Kong, spend an hour here, you'll notice there's a lot of cars and a lot of people. I'd like to introduce you to a place called Mongkok. And there's a specific area in Mongkok called the Ladies' Market. Now, if by some freak of nature you thought it would be a good idea to walk through from Langham Place to Dundas Street today, if you know where that is, you're with me. Go ahead and try to walk through that this afternoon. You will not succeed. If you do succeed, it was a long and sweaty and smelly venture because Dundas Street is also known as Stinky Tofu Street. But you see, that's kind of what happens to our minds and our hearts. We get them so cluttered with all that's going on around us that the promise that Peter encouraged us to, that in our hearts set apart Christ as Lord, he gets buried under the worries and cares and concerns and wants of the day. And Paul's saying, I've got the secret. I know it. And it's really not that complicated. It just requires one thing. Surrender. So I want us to talk today about peace. Because often peace comes when there is surrender. And you'll notice that each one, if you've got your sermon notes with you, uh, you're going to notice that each one of these statements begins with because of Christ. Why do I say that? Because we can do nothing on our own. If we want the life that Paul is promising, this life of peace and contentment, and I'm pretty sure all of us would like that. 
Christian or not, if, if you don't believe a word I say, I think you would probably agree with me that I would love to be able to rest peacefully and not be dead. Most of us probably believe that. And I would love to be able to relax and trust that things would work out. For us in Christ, we know they will. And we can trust a God that knows our plans or knows his plans for our lives better than we do. And so we're invited into a few things that help us gain peace and live the way we can. Can we turn off the center speaker? And I'll just talk louder. Thanks very much. But because of Christ, we can be reconcilers. If you go back to verse 2, we read about Euodia and Syntyche. And Paul then charged the church, as I mentioned to you already, help them. You see, everything about a relationship with Jesus Christ begins with the fact that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. If you looked in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you would read this powerful passage. And I want to read to you the whole thing because I want you to hear God's word, not Mike's. We're told to be reconcilers. Do you know what that word means first? Reconcile. Two things that were broken or disconnected have been brought back together. Okay? That's ultimately what it means. And here, I gave you just a brief snippet, but 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 says this. And this regards how we look at each other in this world. Don't misunderstand, because I know some of you deal with difficult people. Some of you deal with me, and I'm difficult. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. How does the world tell us to regard people? by tools that, use, that we can use to get what we want. That's what the world tells us to do with other people. They are items or commodities that can get us what we want or help us get what we feel will help us be self-actualized. Though we once regarded Christ in this way that we could use him, we do so no longer. Therefore, and if you haven't memorized this verse, I really would encourage you to. This is verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All the junk, all the sin, all the baggage, it's been destroyed. It is no more. All this is from God. You didn't do it yourself. But it's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Oh, and here's the one that we sometimes skip by. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Did you, did you catch it? Not counting men's sins against us. But then we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, right? Did you catch that? That we have been given this ministry. For us personally, we have been reconciled to God. We, our relationship that was broken through our selfish, sinful, just dirtiness has been cleansed through Jesus Christ and what he has done. We have been set free. We have been cleaned. But we have also been given this ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is that you're not just supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to give it away. That part seems to be difficult for church. You see, the church of Jesus Christ, who we worship today for 2,000 years has struggled to get along one with another. And you want to know why? Because we want everyone else to look at us with eyes of grace. That no matter what we do, we can be forgiven, which absolutely is true according to the word of God. Except for blasphemy of the spirit, and we can define that another day. But we want everyone else to be super gracious and super patient and super wonderful with us. But traditionally, over 2,000 years of histories... If someone gets a little off track, we have been really good at punishing them and making sure they know just how evil, horrible, and bad, and wrong, and terrible they are. 
And you know what that is called biblically? Counting their sins against them. But here's the rub. Through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, he who knew no sin becoming sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God, the holiness of God is us. Through him, not through us, because, you know, we're failures. Very encouraging message on Father's Day, I know. But track with me. But if you want peace, you have to understand that we're called to a ministry of reconciliation that says there's freedom in seeing others, not counting their sins against them. Let God do the judging. If someone has sinned, go seek them out and try to help them. Love them. But the worst thing a church can do is go identify sin and say, you horrible person, I hate you. And we might not use those words. We're just supposed to hate the sin and love the sinner. But why are we so good at hating the sinner? Because we want to be the God. We elevate ourselves and we kick others when we're down. But the ministry of reconciliation, the peace of God that transcends all understanding says we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We didn't deserve a relationship with him. We still don't. But God's riches at Christ's expense were given so that we could be set free. So that we could know and enjoy his presence and his love and honor him for all eternity. And why on earth would we be selfish to keep that to ourselves? The ultimate point of the ministry of reconciliation is that as we help people come back to the Lord, we get to give away the greatest way to live, a life of peace and contentment. So what Paul is encouraging Euodia and Syntyche to do is let the church help you come back to peace that comes through Jesus Christ and what he has already done on your behalf. But Mike, you don't understand. They were really horrible to me. Mike, this relationship has been broken for so long. It's beyond repair. Mike, my marriage... It's not a marriage anymore, only in Naim, so we should just give up and move on and split the assets because we can't help. We say these things and we think that somehow there is no peace in this world. But you know, history teaches us that every once in a while we're surprised. And on our own, we usually end up failing. But I'd like you to see if you remembered other times when peace or progress was impossible. And then consider where they've come since then. Anybody recognize this picture? Who can tell me who the man on your left is? Okay, I call him Chairman Mao because that's easier for my English to pronounce. I, I know his, his correct name. But when he, when he led China into the, the, the new world of way of doing things, it was a very closed system, was it not? The idea of capitalistic ideology coming anywhere near China was not going to happen. And to be fair, Americans weren't opening with wide arms saying, yeah, look at us, we'd love to help. We kind of tended to see them as an enemy. And so for long periods of time, from 1949 until February of 1972, there was a great wall. See what I did there? But, but, diplomacy and peace began to knock down that wall. And we saw Richard Nixon. Now, I am not... I am not exalting either of these men personally because both of them struggled mightily with moral issues and whatnot. But in this moment, the world that said there could be no peace, there could be no unity, there could be no reconciliation, we saw a handshake. Okay, so maybe that's before your time. It's before mine, but I like history. So maybe, maybe you might remember this one. Now, this looks like a scene out of a movie and the man on your left, again, very wonderful actor. You remember that? Yeah, he was a great actor. I don't know how great he was. It was well before my time. But he was also the president of my country. His name is Ronald Reagan. And during the, really from JFK, John F. Kennedy onward, we entered in in America with uh, the United Soviet Socialist Republic, what was known as the USSR, into a Cold War. 
Shots were not fired. Words were. Uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy gives a great look at how the, the Cold War kind of functioned where no one knew who to trust or this or that. But the idea of Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan shaking hands, impossible. It wouldn't happen. There would be no chance of that. A few years later, the USSR had been disbanded. And things had changed. Where there was no possibility of peace, there was a handshake. And things changed globally in the world. But Mike, that's that's big geopolitics. That's not personal. You want to see personal? You recognize this? This, to me, is one of the most monumental photos in all of history. Can anyone tell me who the man on the right is? Nelson Mandela spent most of his life in prison. Why? Because he was black. And because he dared speak things that no one else would speak. Minority government had ruled South Africa for a long time. But as these two, on May 4th, 1990, the man on the right of the left is F.W. de Klerk, got together. It marked the beginning of the end of the minority rule of South Africa. Now, have all wounds been healed? Absolutely not. Does progress need to be made in any of these situations? Most definitely. But if you asked John in 1980, would this have happened? He'd tell us no. John's from South Africa. That's why I would ask him. There was just no chance. Where there is no peace, an accord and a handshake was made. But Mike, you don't get it. In my case, it's different. It's harder than racial reconciliation, than global reconciliation, than economic reconciliation. Fair enough. In your heart, maybe that's true. Except for we have to look at this one. Because where there was no peace, where the world was covered by sin and brokenness and despair, God sent his son to live a life of righteousness and holiness as a human servant. And as Paul teaches us in Philippians, taking on the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross so that at the right time he would be exalted and bring all of us into redemption. You see, where no peace could be made on our own, no matter how hard we tried to shake hands with God on our own, it would never be effective because we are fallen human beings. But God made a way for us through the person of Jesus Christ that all who believed on him would not die but have life that lasts forever. Isn't that amazing? Where there is no peace, peace comes at the foot of the cross. And we can lay it before him and we can say, I can rest in your peace, Lord. I can be content in your plan because you've saved me. The victory's already won. And this earth is just a journey of refinement for us as we grow in knowledge and depth of insight. So do we want to be people that live at peace and to live in contentment? Then we focus on understanding that we are called to be reconcilers. And if you don't understand that still, well, let's look at it like this. And I already read you this. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God sent Jesus to us to mend a broken relationship that we could not fix on our own. And then he committed that message to us. And he told his disciples, go make disciples. And in so doing, introduce the world to the message of reconciliation, to the hope that we have, to the peace that we have. Why is discipleship so important to AIC? Because it brings healing to a broken world because of who Jesus is. You can't fix somebody that's gone bankrupt on your own. But you can show them there's more to life than money. 
You cannot fix a broken marriage on your own. I don't care how good a counselor you are. You might be able to put band-aids on it. But if you teach them the ministry of reconciliation through Jesus Christ, that our rights are in Him, that our hope is in Him, and that we can hold out grace because grace was given to us, our marriages have a chance. Our identity is in the fact that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And we get to invite other people into that. Isn't that awesome? And there is great peace in looking at someone in a conflict and saying, you know what? Let's do everything we can. Romans 12 tells us this. Romans 12, oops. Romans 12 says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Okay, you've been hurt and you've been wounded and you have been wronged. I'm not, I'm not going to say you haven't. But listen to the words of Scripture that tell us next. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You go into work tomorrow and your boss treats you like dirt. You go into work tomorrow and your employees don't do what you've asked them to do or told them to do. And you're frustrated. If it is possible, as long as it depends on you, you have no control of the other person. But if your lives are surrendered to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will guide you how to live at peace in that situation. They may not respond the way you would like them to. But I would like to be bold if I can for a minute. Stop fighting for your rights and start fighting for the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And you will see a church, a city, and a world transformed. It's that simple. We get so bent up that somebody misunderstood what we said, or somebody didn't treat us the way we want, or this or that, that we forget there's a world in desperate need of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we can't be bothered to love them enough to make peace with them. Praise God he didn't look at us like that. Because if you read the Bible, all you read of is failure after failure of humans that keep saying, God, I trust you, except I'm going to go do this on my own. So let's bring people back. Let's seek peace as long as it depends on us. And let's trust God with the other person. You want to live at peace? Reconciliation. Understanding and being grateful, rejoicing that we've been set free. The next point, it's a quick one. We're invited to that peace. It's, it's, this is great. This is logical. That's why you've got your fancy arrows. Because, okay, as we reconcile, as we seek to bring reconciliation into a broken world, it's the better way to live. Remember, Jesus invited us to live the full life. Well, the full life means we're considering others and inviting them into a relationship with him. That's what we're called to do. As we do that, there's a peace that we don't understand how it is. As we give away more, we're blessed more. Yeah. It's biblical theology. The more we give of ourselves to God and what he has for us, the more content we are with the life he has called us to. It transcends understanding. It doesn't make sense. The trend right now is to say it's countercultural. Excuse me. Lots of things are countercultural. This one's biblical. You want the peace of God that transcends all understanding? Follow Him and keep giving yourself to Him and saying, Here I am, Lord, take my life and let it be yours. And you could be amazed at what He does. Because when circumstances come and you know your life is not your own, but it's trusting in Jesus with every circumstance, let's say, for instance, your two daughters needed new passports. And you went in at the appropriate time to the U.S. consulate. Maybe you're American, just theoretically. And you go into the consulate, and he tells you, the wonderful gentleman that works there says, you can come pick him up next Friday, a week from today. Uh, it still gives you nine days before you fly out. No problem. Everything is good. And then you get a random phone call from the consulate uh, a week and a so later, over 10 days later, and they say, one, the wrong name, so they've called the wrong person. But when they realize they've called the wrong person, oh, I'm supposed to call you too. Your passports may not be ready by the time you need them. Is that okay? Well, no, because I need to take my children to... Oh, oh I'm sorry, this is theoretical. You might need to take your children on a long journey. In that moment... I began to not 
trust in the peace of God. Okay, at first I did. I was like, ah, this will work out. She's confused. But then another day went by, the day when I was supposed to get the email. I did not get it. Then the next day went by, and I did not get the phone call that I was promised to get, and so I called back, and she said, well, they should be on their way. Oh, should be. Thanks. That's really helpful, because now we're on Thursday, or no, now we're on Wednesday. That gives Thursday, Friday, and only two working days. Americans, we don't work very much. So, you know, and we're probably going to take some time off there anyway. So you had Thursday and Friday. My flight leaves at noon. So because you've got to be at the airport two hours in advance, I can't get the consulate on Monday. And you only let us pick them up at three. So you've got two days to get me these stupid passports. I was not at peace. Not even a little. And then I called. No, 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 no. I'm in the car with my daughter, who, by the way, got sick at the same time. And I'm just like, Lord, what are you doing? All I wanted was a quiet week. And in that moment, I get an email as we're getting ready to go to the doctor. And it says, we're sorry, due to a systems error, your passports will not be ready for at least one week. We hope you are not inconvenienced. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help. And so I got on the phone. At this point, the U.S. consulate was on speed dial. And I called them and I said, what am I supposed to do? And Isabel is sitting next to me listening to all this. It's her passport. She worries like her dad. And they say, okay, well, we'll look and we'll look. And I'm just like, okay, kid here. It's about to be Father's Day. This should be a teachable moment. So I looked at Izzy and with all the fake courage I could muster, I said, Izzy, God will work this out, right? And she's like, yeah, dad. (laughs) And you know what? I looked at my daughter, and my daughter is not an amazing, perfect kid, but she reminded me the faith of a child, that God's got this. And so I said a quick prayer in my head. The lady answered on the other end and said, "Uh, oh, I can't find your passport. Give me a minute. And a minute turned into three minutes and 23 seconds. I looked. And when she came back, she said, oh, yes, they're right here. We misfiled them. (laughs) And she said, when can you get them? And I said, well, not today, but can I come tomorrow? And she said, oh, yes, absolutely. And so I went and I picked up the passports and the kids can get on an airplane and we can go. But what I didn't model, I don't say all that to model my strength, but God had a plan all along. What was I doing worrying? He knew, he understood, but I tried to take it into my own hands. And God's just laughing, saying, Mike, Clearly you haven't learned this yet, so I'm going to teach you again. God loves us enough to teach us to rest in his peace. And sometimes that refinement means that he gives us the opportunity to wait and to see how we will respond. But the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts. What I didn't do, it showed me that I've grown. I didn't yell. I didn't yell at a single of the eight people I talked to to get to the right human. And that was because of the Lord. I'm learning and he's refining. And as things happen, we grow in peace and we can trust him and he can allow us to be peacemakers. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A little over a week ago, a man walked into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, very near where I lived as a kid one of the many places I lived as a kid. He pulled out a gun and he shot a bunch of people. Why? We don't know. We don't understand. This is a historically strong church, has been for a while. But I'd like to show you this picture. The boy on the left's name is Mylon. I've forgotten his name. Dylan Roof was his name. His mom was at church that day worshiping the Lord. And she was shot and killed. One day later, this is what was said. My mom was, and this is by a kid. He's in college. He's a university kid. So he might be 20 years old, if that. He's, his life has just been turned upside down. And this is his response to a broken world and a man that just took his, his mother from him. My mom was a God-fearing woman. She loved everybody with all of her heart. Love is always stronger than hate. So if we would just love the way my mom would, then hate won't be anywhere close to where the love is. 
Pretty wise words from a 20-year-old. He seeks to make peace in a broken world. I don't know that kid. I want to. Anybody that can respond to that, the death of his mother in awful circumstances, understands the ministry of reconciliation that he will seek to make peace even in the most painful times. He's also quoted as saying he forgives the kid that shot his, pe- his mom. Would we? If we want to live at peace, we've got to give it away. And we can only do that through Christ, understanding that we've been reconciled, understanding that we've been made right with him. But then we're invited as we're trusting in him and as we understand that our identity, our very position is because of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. We're charged with, there's going to be some marks of how you live. You're going to be encouraged to be of good character. And being of good character might look like something with how you order your mind. And so you think about certain things. And I like this because teenagers say whatever all the time. You tell them to do something, whatever, mom, whatever, dad. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, think about whatever is true. Okay, what, what was it to be true? Whatever is truth. Now, we have decided in this moralistic, in this relativistic culture that we now find ourselves in, that truth is self-defined. Well, that statement cannot possibly be true. Because if everyone can define their own truth, then how can the statement be true? I know that's a little bit of math in your minds for a second. But we think that there's no right and wrong because everyone can define their own. But the problem is then we get upset when a kid goes in and shoots up a church. You cannot have one without the other. It is simply not possible in logic. You think about what is truth. And the entire greatness of following Jesus Christ is I am the way, the truth, in the life. So what is Paul teaching us? Think about the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I asked our community group last night what occupies our mind and the, the typical ones came up. Calendars, schedules, family, work. What if is we're going to study this summer, starting next week, we really practiced the presence of God, practiced experiencing His provision in all things. What if we sought to dedicate ourselves to that? So we're called to think about what is true. We're called to think about nobility. What is noble? In other words, if we have been given grace... And if the holiness and the dignity and the majesty of God is to be experienced by us, it is, he invites us to that, then we are invited in to think on him because he is noble. He is majestic. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. Think on him. This is common sense, but we don't because our minds are caught in a traffic jam. And we think about what is right. Now, if you are married, let me put a caveat. Your wife is always right. Okay, get that. I need to learn that. That's for me. But in the grand scheme of things, we think about what is right. And we need to understand that some things in this world are wrong. And they are not for us to entertain ourselves with. There are things in the media today that the Lord continues to convict me of that, you know what? You need to pull back from that. Now that's in you. You you define, you let the Lord search your heart. And as you set apart Christ as Lord, he will guide your heart and mind and guard you with his peace. And you'll begin to know that, you know what? I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be engaged in this type of relationship. I shouldn't be engaged in this type of activity. God will guide you, I promise if you have set apart Christ as Lord and if you think on what is right. But there is a discipline there. We have to order our lives in such a way that we will think on Him and we will rejoice in Him. Because right now, even in my best days, I still like thinking about myself an awful lot. And if you're honest, you might too. But if we think about what is right and what He has called us to, it's so much better. Then. Men, 
We have seen the degradation of fatherhood for a half a century, if not more. And one of the great reasons for that is the world has told us that purity no longer is significant. What are you looking at when you go outside? What are you looking at when you're looking at your computer screen? Women, same. What are you engaging in in your relationships? The, object, the objectification and the commodification, in other words, seeing humanity as nothing more than a product to be used and abused and enjoyed for our own gain and then tossed off, is not biblical, nor is it pure, and nor is it holy. Pornography, adultery, these things have no place in our lives. Angry thoughts that lead to hatred has no place in our minds because it starts in our minds. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we know that the heart and the mind are connected. We are called to a life of purity. But Mike, I've made so many mistakes, I can't stop now. You're right. But in the ministry of reconciliation, you can be forgiven and set free from the bondage of sin that has so ensnared you. Do you believe that? Maybe it's what other people think of you and you just can't let it go and it has enslaved you to the point where you're angry with them because of what they haven't done for you. God can purify that brokenness and draw you back to him. But we are called to a life of purity and that starts by thinking of what is pure. There are things you will see on your TV screen that is not pure. Maybe it's time to turn it off. There are things that we see on a billboard in the MTR. Maybe it's time to bounce our eyes and look the other way, gentlemen, ladies. There are things you want to say to your wife that certainly do not build her up. Maybe it's time to think about what is pure and what is lovely. If you are blessed with marriage, you have been brought into a love relationship that is representative of what Christ has done for us, the church. And your bride is beautiful. Your groom is lovely and handsome because he's God's creation. She's God's creation made in the image of God. Do you see her that way? Do I see my wife that way and treat her that way? You see, this is a hard message because I have much to learn in this. Do I think about the splendor? Do I think of my wife the way Proverbs 31 thinks of his? Or just read Song of Solomon. It's awesome if you're married. Read it and enjoy thinking about what is lovely. But lovely goes beyond just marriage. Lovely means we can look out. For a week, we've had blue skies. Who can remember the last time Hong Kong had a week of blue skies? Not me. It was amazing. And it was gorgeous. And the beauty of God was on full display. Check out my Facebook page. There's all sorts of pictures. And I didn't even have to be a good photographer to take them the beauty of God at work all around us, or the beauty of God at work in relationships, of bringing people into our lives for just such a time, is lovely. Think on these things because of what Christ has done. It's not because of us. I didn't bring Melissa into my life. God did. I didn't make this world. God did. And I will think and thank on him. Whatever is admirable. This is a tricky one because it brings it back to us a little bit. What is admirable is those things that are of good report. Are our lives conducted with integrity? Are we thinking about ways to be admirable admirable even when the world says, take a shortcut here or fight for getting that better position or that better way or that better right? That's not what it's saying. It's saying think on what is of good report, what will bring glory to God and show others that we as Christ followers live a different life. Finally, whatever, whatever is excellent, whatever is virtuous, the right things, those things that just show the world there's a greater way to live. We're called to think on those things and act on those things and to praise Him in the process. Think about what is praiseworthy. This morning when you woke up, be honest. First thought of the day was, whoo, I'm sure glad I get to wake up today. I bet you it wasn't. First thought might have been, oh, my body aches. Oh, it's too early. Oh, my small group stayed at my house too late last night. Oh, you know, whatever it might be. 
What if we thought about what was praiseworthy, that we gave credit to God for what he's continuing to do in all things? Because through Jesus Christ, our position is secure. We can be thankful and at peace and content in any and all circumstance because our lives are not our own. They are Jesus Christ's. And that's the crux of the matter. If we want contentedness, if we want to trust in God, we've got to be willing to obey and to follow the path that he's led us to. It's a path of enjoying the reconciliation, the grace that he has given us, and then giving that away to others. That's at the heart of reconciliation. Then at the same time, it's seeking peace with others because that shows them the love of God at work. It's thinking on things that are holy, not clouding our minds with the things of this world that will pass away. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who gives us strength. Isn't that amazing? This world will not win at the end of the day. Jesus Christ does. And he invites us to live at peace and contentment with him. And then he invites us to go serve others the way he serves us, to offer grace the way he offered us grace, to offer hope the way he gave us hope. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I confess to you that I still can think on many things that are not admirable, pure, holy, but I pray that as a church body, we would encourage one another to be reconciled to you and to one another. But above all, I pray that we would know the secret of being content and at peace in all circumstances, that the secret of living the pure and holy life is found in giving you our lives and resting in the promise of Jesus Christ and enjoying a relationship with you for all eternity. We love you, Lord. Amen.